Welcome to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. Brought to you by Present Truth Ministry, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. Praise God. Let's, let's get into the Word so we can finish chapter 3 today. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that light and understanding will come. Thank you because I'm anointed to teach. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Okay, so Malachi chapter 3. Let's just go in and let's read quickly the the chapter. And then we'll pick it up gradually. So you remember that what we're building on is the fact that God was speaking to the whole nation and was rebuking the nation. Praise God. God was speaking to the whole nation and was rebuking the nation, was correcting the nation and trying to set the nation aright. So we're going to just read quickly chapter 3. And chapter 4 is actually very short. It's six verses. So we can finish in 30 minutes. So chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, so what I'm going to read, probably I'm going to read and then interpret and read and interpret. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. I'll send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Now, the word Malachi actually means my messenger. That's what the word means, my messenger. Now, in the, um, let me have Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. In the, in, like in the Middle East, when kings were coming, one of the things they had was that they had people that go ahead to prepare the way for them, all right? So that was one of the assignments and the role that, uh, um, that the prophet was talking about. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the prophet Isaiah picks it up by saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And like I keep saying, if you read all through the scriptures, you will realize that the whole of scriptures is pointing to Christ. From Isaiah, from Zechariah, from Ezekiel and Jeremiah, regardless of what you see them prophesying, if you read very deeply, you will see that they were picking the fact about Christ. That Christ is the center of scriptures. All of the things we read about is pointing us to Christ. Now, in Luke chapter 7 and verse 26 to um, 28, in Luke chapter 7, 26 to 28, you see that reference again picked up in the new covenant. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, Luke chapter 7 and verse 26 to 28. Okay. Uh, all right. Luke 7 here now. 26. But who did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are gorgeously appareled and live in the luxury are in the king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. Verse 27. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I'll send my messenger before your face, you will prepare your way before you. So, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it was actually referring to who? To John the Baptist. Praise the name of the Lord. 
and John the Baptist was to prepare the people's heart for God, was to prepare the people's heart to be receptive for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it says, And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Now, one of the things up until today, you find that the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. It's very interesting that the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. And what makes me laugh the most is that we still collect money to give to the Jews. You understand? And you see prophets, you know, ah, we are going to build a temple in Israel. Let's do something in Israel. Ah, Israel. Oh, Israel. Let's pray for Israel. Let's give to Israel. As you are praying for Israel, pray for Palestine. God sent his son to die for the whole world. Is that okay? And then when we teach like this, some people say, oh, well, this is replacement theology. No, it's not replacement theology. It is the fact that we are now the Israel of God. Amen. We are the new, we are the new covenant saints of God. We're now the Israel of God. Is that okay? So it's very important for us to understand. It says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Now there's something about the coming of the Lord or the appearance of the Lord. Even though the Lord keeps speaking about his coming and his appearance, when he comes, people are not aware of him. In the sense of people are still caught up in their religious activities. You know, sometimes we can be praying for revival and revival hits us and we're not aware. Because revival is coming in the shape of what we do not expect. And that's what was happening. That's what was happening. That's what was happening. While Jesus was walking the shores of Galilee, as the Lamb of God, the Pharisees were still offering the Lamb of God. Offering lambs and goats. You know, something came to my mind today. I'm writing something for pastors. And it came to my mind very strongly. Most of the accusations about Jesus Christ were the misinterpretations of his teachings. Right? He taught something that was true. They misinterpreted it and accused him of it. And it's the same thing today. You teach the truth and then religious people start accusing you. Praise the name of the Lord. So it says, even the messenger of the covenant, observe the word the covenant. What covenant was he talking about there? Although he was referring to the old covenant, now he is talking about a new covenant. And it's just, see, the old and the new covenant are, if you put everything in one box, they are just one covenant. It's the method of operation and the method of acceptance that changes. So let me explain this. In the old covenant, Israel had to do a lot to please God. In the new covenant, Christ paid the price for us and we believe into that. So whichever way you look into the covenant, a price has to be paid. In the old covenant, they did it with the blood of lambs and goats and cattle. In the new covenant, it was the blood of Jesus. So it is one covenant, but the method of operation, the method of application, the method of reception changed. So he was talking about the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight. And behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, Christ, even though John the Baptist introduced Christ, Christ is the ultimate messenger of the covenant, which is the messenger of mercy. When he came, he brought forth the new covenant. He released the new covenant to people. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we can get into the new covenant. But the sad thing is we don't want to get into the new covenant. 
Most of us still think that, listen, we have to keep the law. We have to keep the law. We have to keep the law. Of course, there are demands of righteousness. But let me tell you the truth. You cannot keep the law and be successful. You cannot. Praise the name of the Lord. So Christ has come to give us that. Malachi 3, 2. But who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. What was the prophet Malachi talking about here? He says, even though we desire that Christ will come and Christ will visit us, his visitation is also his purification. And I, I, I want to I beg you. I teach the grace of God. You know, I teach the grace of God. I believe in the grace of God. But I teach the fact that the grace of God teaches us to deny all ungodliness. Are you following what I'm saying? Because Christ comes and purifies us. You know, we sang a song now. Goodbye world, I stay no longer with you. You know, that song is very interesting to, to sing. But difficult to practice. Because most of us... We are not goodbye world. We are even looking for ways to get more of the world. When Christ comes, he sits and purifies and watches you pure as gold. He sits and purifies you. Verse, verse 3. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. This is an aspect of God we need to get used to. The aspect of righteousness and holiness and purification. When God comes into his temple, he purifies his temple. And that is one of the things he did when he got into the temple and he discovered that they were selling um, um, merchandise and doing exchange and all that. What happened? Come on, Jesus took a whip and flocked the guys out of the temple. You know, we have our own image of Jesus and we have the image of Jesus that is in the scriptures. One of the images of Jesus that was in the scripture was a cane carrying Jesus, a flogging Jesus. Jesus, master flogger. Because if we're not careful, it's easy to merchandise the gospel. And that's what we see today. We must restrain our hearts from making the house of God a place just for buying and selling. Praise the name of the Lord. I know some of you come here and you still wear, I still see wristbands of certain people in your hand. You need to be careful. Because we're almost getting into those wristbands as amulets and as charms, pictures of certain prophets. Praise God. And you need to be careful. I know if I print that now, you will wear. Because it makes you, it makes you, <laughs> you know, there's something about the human mind that likes those things. That is why somebody who is traveling and forgot his bottle of oil will travel back to collect the oil, forgetting that he can die on his way back. You see that his senses has been suspended. <laughs> and then when you say this, they say, oh, it works. We don't determine truth by what is working. We determine truth by the standard of God's word. Are you following what I'm saying? And God's word in his raw form will work. 
But you know, people don't like that discipline. They don't like the discipline of prayer. They want me to pray on something for them. They don't like the discipline of whatever. They just want something quickly. When God comes, he purifies his temple. 1 Corinthians 3.13. Give me that quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. Praise God. Are you still here? Each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Listen. Everything you're doing, God is going to test. He wasn't just referring to pastors. You know, almost like we're losing a sense of the fact that God will judge us or God is judging us. We're losing the sense of that fact. Our work will be tested. The motives of our work will be tested. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I like this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 to 21, look at this. Let's start reading quickly from verse 19. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay and some of honor and some for dishonor. Now, when you read this verse, you will think that, oh, well, God makes some people for honor. God makes some people for dishonor. No, 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 no. He's just showing you the kind of vessels that are in the house. But he tells you what to do. Go to verse 21. He tells you what to do in verse 21. Therefore, if anyone, how many people are anyone? Anybody. If anyone cleanses himself from the latter. He will be the vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So you determine if you will be a vessel of honor, not God. It's not God's choice. If you are a vessel of dishonor, it's your choice. God says if you cleanse yourself and you get yourself ready, I'll use you. It's like you get into the kitchen and you see dirty plates. If the plate is not ready, you won't use them to eat. You won't use them to eat just because they are your plates. Are we together? But if the plate is clean, what will you do? You pick it. God is not the one who determines how far you will go. Your consecration determines that. You know, sometimes someone can be sleeping around and doing all the things and we don't know. And the person just thinks, well, I can get away with it. Listen, what you don't know is that you don't know what God really wants to use you to do if you will consecrate yourself. Do you understand what I'm saying? It says God knows them that are his. He knows. God knows. We don't know, but God knows. I don't know, but God knows. You know, this, this freed me from the pressure of trying to know how righteous my members are. Because if God knows, it's fine. It's, it's okay by me. God knows. So God uses you by your level of consecration. And if, if, even if you are not as consecrated, if you choose to decide tonight and say, listen, what, you know what, God? I'm going to cleanse myself. And I'm going to be ready for you. You'll be amazed at what God will do in your life. Praise the name of the Lord. It's like uh, when you watch a football match, right? There are people on the bench. And you see, even if they are not playing football, they'll keep warming up. Keep warming up. Keep warming up. Keep warming up. You remember one of the incidents where they they told... (laughs) Who was that now? Uh, Was it Sergio Aguero? Man City player. So warm up. The guy was tired of warming up, so he sat down. (laughs) <laughs> and then he quarreled with his coach. You see, but the truth of the matter is that 
When they will call you, you will not have time to warm up. That's how consecration is. The day God will call you for an assignment, that's not the day you now say, oh, no, 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 no. You have to be ready. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay, verse, verse 3. And it shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Now, why, why is he purifying the sons of Levi? Who are the sons of Levi? They are... Come on now. They are the priests that were offering the sacrifice. How many of you remember when we started in Malachi chapter 1, I told you that God's biggest problem is his pastors. That's God's biggest problem. If God can sort us out, he'll handle you. You know, people are like their pastors, right? You don't know. Now you know. So you say yes when I ask you again. People are like their pastors, right? Okay, so you know now. You are like your pastor. If you have a covetous pastor, you'll be covetous. If you have an indisciplined pastor, you'll be indisciplined. People are like their pastors. And so if God wants to sort the people, he sorts the pastors. So God says, I'm going to purify the sons of Levi so that whatever they are offering will not be offered in righteousness. So the concern of God was not the offering. The concern of God was the people. If the people are cleansed, their offering will be offered what? In righteousness. Praise the name of the Lord. And this is very key. So God wanted to purify the sons of Levi. And he says, I will do them as gold and silver. Listen, gold and silver takes a lot of fire to be purified. It takes a lot of fire. Intense fire. That's why the higher the Lord wants to use you, the more intense your consecration is. You have to, whoa, consecrate on every level. When I was small, there was something that, there was a, 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 um, it's not a movie, it's a documentary that my dad was watching. It changed a lot about my life. It, 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 uh, it was on this man, Lauren Cunningham, the founder of Youth with a Mission. How many of you know Youth with a Mission? Don't know Youth with a Mission? Right? Okay. Well, I won't tell you about Youth with a Mission. I've, I've mentioned the name. Go online and read about them. Well, it's an organization, a missions organization. It was founded by Lauren Cunningham. One day, a man bought a brand new suit for him. And it was so ex- oh, where he went to buy his suit, it was $50 back then, maybe like $18,000 or $19,000. He was so excited about the suit. When he wanted to wear the suit, God now asked him, that did you ask me to, if you can buy that suit first? And the man said, this suit. <laughs> and God said, yes, it's my money I gave you. Did you ask me if you can use it for suit? He says, oh Lord, I'm sorry, repented, returned the suit and everything. And I watched that as a small boy. But, you know, most of you, God will not even ask you. If you build a house, God will not ask you. Do you know why? He's not interested. Because you are not interested in his affairs. If the Lord asks you, you will rebuke him. So the Lord will just leave you. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. And, and the Lord said that to me many years ago. Let me tell you something. If you never feel led by the Spirit to make certain sacrifice for the kingdom, so you need to cry to God and ask God why. You see, you should be bothered that why is it that the Lord does not ask you for your resources? Why? Why? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's like you have many children in the house, right? You give them money. You give them money. But that, you know, we have, as parents, like my, I saw something on Facebook the other day. Somebody was saying that all the money you are owing your wife, you should try and pay. That's one status I would not like. Because... <laughs> 
my wife is always forgiving me. I know, I know what it means to be the president of the country when you always ask people to forgive your loan. Because you know, you know all those times you say, give me 1,000 here, give me 2,000. You know, some of you, your parents are owing you all the money you saved in your life. But you realize that there are some of these children, the mother will never ask. Now, asking you might look like is punishment. But see, your mother not asking that child, he knows what he's doing. You should be concerned if God never asks you to give. You should be concerned. If once in a while you have a project and God says, no, stop it. Take this money. Do this for me. You should be concerned. What it means is that God has just left you and your resources and says you can, you can have it. Are you, are you following this? That's a word of knowledge for somebody. So you receive that now. Verse 4. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord. When will the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant to the Lord? When they have been purified. So God's concern is the vessel. God's concern is the individual. And that is one mistake we started making in church, especially when it comes to music industry. We started picking gifts and talents over character. God's concern with your singing is first your individual person. If your individual person is good, your singing will be good. You know, one man that amazes me so much in the singing industry, and thank God we had this book, and I made you read it in the choir. I don't know how many of you read it, but I hope you read it. He's Don Moy. His songs are not complex. Right? Don Moy's songs are not complex. They are not complex in the sense of, you know, the way we sing now. But the man is evergreen consistent. He's just there. There's no he used to rain many years ago. You say, no, he's just there. He shows something about his life. I believe that God wants us to be fruitful even in our old age. Say amen. amen. Says then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old as in former years and I'll come near to you to judgment. And I will be swift witness against the sorcerers. Observe the word sorcerers, sorcerers, sorcerers. Those who use spiritual powers to see things and, you know, commit sorcery. Sometimes what we see in ministry today is sorcery. Using the gifts of the spirit to manipulate people. You know, it's almost like we've come uh, to a time in our life where it is who can see the number of your car, the, the color of your bed sheet that is more anointed. Praise God. <laughs> this is not to speak against the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, the Lord has used us in that regard sometimes. But you see what? We must be careful of sorcery. No matter how it masquerades itself. Praise the name of the Lord. And against the adulterers. Adultery is still a sin. Remember God was big on marriage. We dealt with that. Adultery is still a sin. And how, how are we training ourselves for adultery in this generation? Is the fact that we don't consider anything wrong with sex before marriage. And you see, perversion grows. Perversion grows. There was a time where, I mean, if you had sex, I mean, you committed fornication, it was a big deal. You felt guilty for years, you, you know, and then it looked extreme. And we said, oh, no, well, 
and we started making, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And before you know, you raise a generation where, I mean, a lot of single people come to me for counseling when they want to get married and before they get married. The greatest challenge that single ladies have, one of the greatest challenges that single ladies have as we, as we speak is the fact that people who want to marry them want to sleep with them before marriage. Ask any pastor, including brothers in church. Then you hear people say, my mother said, I cannot marry somebody who are not sure we get pregnant. Your mother said. And yet, you are media director in church. No, no, that's, it looks like a joke, but that's the greatest challenge. I, 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 are you following this now? And if we don't start speaking against these things, we will raise a generation that will make sin common. And these are the things that God wants to purify in his house. These are the things that God wants to judge. Adultery. Against false swearers. And against those that oppress the hireling in his wages. That oppress the widow and the fatherless. A Christian should not employ somebody and you are oppressing them with their pay. It's not a believer's way of living. Don't hire more people than you can pay. Don't owe people salaries. Don't have a nanny in your house and you're owing them for years. God is against that. It's against the oppression of the widows and the fatherless. Those that turn aside the stranger from his right and fear not me, says the Lord. So all of these are linked to what? The fear of God. If a man fears God, he will not use ministry for sorcery. If a man fears God, he will not commit adultery. You remember when Joseph, when Joseph stood before Potiphar's wife, his cell leader was not there. Do you realize Joseph was not a member of any church? In fact, Joseph had not gone for premarital counseling. Joseph just said one word, I fear God. Now you see how sin is, right? If Joseph had slept with Potiphar's wife, the highest Joseph would have been in his life would have been the eldest servant in Potiphar's house. Because number one, Potiphar's wife would never allow him to go. That's a sugar mommy. So he will always be there. No promotion. Where will you promote you? You want to now do? Where will? And then you realize, as usual, she'll start getting jealous. So she'll start cutting Joseph's space to just be with her. And meanwhile, locked in Joseph for the capacity to become a prime minister. And if we never read that, we will never know. We'll be so glad. Ha, praise the Lord. After all the selling, he became a senior servant. You know, the judgment against sin is not that you will die. It's not that. The judgment against sin is that, listen, you have 1,000 capacity, you operate in 100. And the truth of the matter is that I may never know. It's only God that knows what you are capable of if you were not in sin. Are, are you following what I'm saying? It's only God that knows. It's only God that knows what I'm... In fact, I was studying this today and I was like, God, how much we stop ourselves from getting into the purpose of God for our lives because of sin. Praise God. Do you realize, I'll just say this quickly, do you realize Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people came to Christ? We never know how much impact Judas would have made if he didn't sell Jesus. Well, in, in another way, look at him. Selling Jesus was, was why Jesus died for us, but somebody else could have done the sales. 
but he was a thief. <laughs> that's something about temptation. You will never be tempted by what you don't like. And that's why the things you like, your passions, you must, you must train yourself. If you are somebody who liked ladies when you were in the world, train yourself. Don't have too many spiritual daughters. You will sleep with them. Are you following what I'm saying? You, you see, in the matter of sin and overcoming temptation, there have to be boundaries. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? Yeah. Because this is God's intention. That they fear him. If we fear God, we will live right, whether we're in church or not. The man that lives right in church and lives wrong outside has no fear of God. He has fear of the pastor. Praise the name of the Lord. And let me tell you something. You don't need to be found out. God will judge a sin whether you're found out or not. If Joseph was not recorded like that, we will not know. I mean, you also know the story of my brother Samson. Samson was such a powerful man. The scripture says that he will wake up at the night and carry the city gate on his shoulders. Now, let me explain something. One of my friends in South Africa said this, and I believe him so much. If Samson was a huge giant, it would not surprise people that he had that power. So Samson was just a regular guy. But when the spirit of God came upon him, it engineered him. City gates in those days were not like our own gate here that we built that uh, John and Victor pulls like that. These are not city gates. You will know that they can pull that thing without the anointing. <laughs> city gates were heavy. And you know what happened? The man loved sisters and slept with Delilah. And you see, something about temptation here. Eh? No poison is packaged as poison. It's always packaged as food. You took a woman to the house. You know, these are so that you can understand. You don't forget the example. You took a woman to the house. The woman tied you with rope. Right? And say, baby boy, Philistines are upon you. You shook yourself and realized that ah, Philistines were actually coming. You still stayed in that house. You see what? You see how temptation is? A man knows that adultery will destroy me. But yet, he, that's why without the grace of God, you cannot overcome certain things. Until he was finally tied. And the scripture says he shook himself as before and wished not that the spirit had left him. Then, go to the end of his life. I'm telling you about the judgment of sin. He prayed to God. God restored him and everything. He said, let me die with these Philistines. And the Bible says he killed more people on his death than when he was alive. But the issue is, that was not God's perfect plan for him. Imagine how many, so he had the capacity to kill those number of people without sin. Even in sin, you see that capacity. So, for me, why do I need to run away from sin? It will limit my capacity and the purposes of God for my life. That's, that's enough self-encouragement. Praise the name of the Lord. All right, come on, let's go. Verse what? Verse 7. Okay, verse, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. All right? So we must also understand that even though the Lord doesn't change, we always interpret this in terms of his goodness. It is also interpreted in terms of his judgment, in terms of the way he sees sin. There is never a time where sin will become acceptable to God. 
Praise the name of the Lord. And let me tell you something. Listen to me very carefully tonight. This is a word of knowledge. If you're doing something that you know is sin, and you hear a message like this, and you repent before the Lord, and ask him to forgive you, and put that thing under the blood of Jesus, and make up your mind that you're going to walk righteously, what God will do is that he will supernaturally nullify the effects of that in your life. And it will never show in your life that you did something like that. And that's why he says, listen, because of the unchangeableness of God, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. God judges people who are constantly hearing the truth and are repentant. Praise the name of the Lord. Verse 8. Verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, ye you have gone away from my ordinances, and you have not kept them. Return unto me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord. You see, we must be the first people to take steps towards God. The prodigal son was the first one that said, I will return. God is, listen, God is waiting to love you if you will return to him. If you make up that, there's something about God, right? When God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the Bible says that as, as, I, as Abraham lifted up, well, man, Isaac, I'm not, I'm not sure how Isaac was able to live with Abraham, all the days of his life again. Because you realize that after that incident, if I'm your if I'm your if you are my father, I'll look for a house. Because I don't know when God will speak to you again. That that sacrifice, try it again. I want to try something. Me imagine your father holding knife. Ah <laughs> you know, but you see, God says, Now I know. Even though Abraham did not physically carry out the act of killing Isaac. Since he had proposed in his heart that I'm going to kill this boy and sacrifice to God, God accepted it. It's the same thing. Once you make that heart adjustment, even before the physical action, God accepts you. The heart adjustment is the key. Just saying, I'm sorry. Just saying, I'll consecrate myself. I was thinking about this today and I was telling myself, listen, we need higher levels of consecration. Like old school consecration. Because only God can tell our potential. Only God can tell our possibilities. Praise the name of the Lord. Okay. Verse 7. Again, you realize the way they talk. But ye said, wherein shall we return? Wherein shall we return? Verse 8, our popular scripture. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Okay. So every time God tells them something, they will ask God question back. Return to me. Wherein shall we return? <laughs> the Israelites were rude. No, the Israelites were very rude to God. See the way they talk to God? Very rude. You see, the fact that God is good to you doesn't mean you're good to him. That's why one of the greatest sins that God hates is ingratitude. You know that Christians complain a lot. We're the ones that understand God. We're the ones that have salvation. We're the ones that have been redeemed. We're the ones that God takes care of. We're the ones God protects, yet we complain a lot. And when we now get angry, we say, okay, we're not coming to church again. I will expect God to come and beg us. But, ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? Verse 8. In tithes and in offerings. So, I know you've been hearing this scripture all your life, so I'm not going to build so much on this. But I want you to observe two things. Number one, God was speaking to a nation. 
Of course, individuals make up the nation, but God was addressing a big problem. And in this, God was not just addressing only tithes. We have always emphasized the tithes. God was addressing two levels of giving here, was addressing the tithes and the offerings. Because what God, listen very carefully, because what God was addressing here was a national ordinance. It wasn't just an individual disobedience. It was a whole nation walking away from a culture of kingdom economy. So God says, you have robbed me in tithes and in offerings. How? Because in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 10, the Levites and the singers that did the work, they were supposed to be giving their pay and their salary from the tithes and the offerings and also to take care of the widows and the orphans. So what happened is that when the people stopped giving, the Levites now went to start working. Are you following what I'm saying? The Levite now went to the farms and started working, and they were not supposed to do that. They were supposed to work for the Lord full time. So they, they, they stopped that giving to the storehouse. What's the storehouse? It was a place where they used to keep things to take care of the priests, the Levite, the singers, and uh, the poor and the widow. There were four classes of offerings there, very quickly. Number one, there was the first fruits. Number two, the annual half shekel um, sacrifice offering they needed to give in Exodus 30, verse 13 to 15. Then there were the offerings that were used for the tabernacle to build the tabernacle. You can find that in Exodus 25, 2 to 3, Exodus 35, verse 5. And also the offerings that were needed to build the second temple in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 25. Then there was the tithe that was meant to help the Levites. Nehemiah 18, 26, and verse, you can read from Nehemiah chapter, Nehemiah chapter 18, sorry, Numbers chapter 18 and verse 26, and Numbers chapter 18 up down to chapter, tw uh, to verse 29, you will find out that God required that a uh, part of the tithe was to go to support the Levites. Then you can read Nehemiah 13 and verse 10 to 23. You find that whole story there. Nehemiah 13, verse 10 to 23. Now, their tithes were not monetary. It wasn't money. Their tithes were agricultural foods, were agricultural produce. So when they produced their goods, the, the, most of them were agricultural. Right? Now, when they brought it, there was food in God's house. What was that food meant for now? The priest, the Levite, the poor. So in our modern day, what can we say about this? The tithing is God's uh, ordinance to keep the economy of God functioning. Let me explain this to you. And that's why, I mean, of course, I don't go to the extreme with the tithing doctrine, but that's why I actually still believe that the local church, everyone should tithe. What tithing does is that it gives us consistent income to do God's work. Because if we're all here and everybody decides to say we're going to give us, we're led by the Spirit. You know, there are some people that are only led twice a year. And we'll never consistently be able to do anything. We're building right now. We can budget based on what comes. We can budget based on, okay, how many staff can we put on? It is from the tithes and the offerings that will do our welfare. And I'll tell you this, right, as your pastor. Our offerings will never be able to run the ministry. It doesn't get there. I mean, if you're a pastor, you know. The tithe is what augments whatever we give, right? So we, we run a bus service here. We run a bus service here. 
every Sunday and every midweek. Where are we supposed to pay that money from? From the tithes and the offerings. Okay? Now, I'm able to do, I'm able to do full-time because I'm on salary here. And then we have a couple of staff. Now, I came in here today, came in, came in about maybe 5.30 to 6, and I had to do two quick TV recordings, right? Now, this man volunteers to do the TV recording. And then, because he's busy with his own job, sometimes we send whatever we do here to worry to be edited, and then we have to send from there to the TV. But you know, someone like him is supposed to be on full-time staff. That's supposed to just be his job. So he gets the TV stuff done. Where are we going to pay him from? So you realize that that is what the tithes and the offerings were meant for. So your consistency helps the local church. Now, what does God wants us to pick in the spirit of the tithe in the New Testament? It is the spirit of putting God first in our finances and putting his temple first. Now, when money comes into my hand, one of the first things I think about is how can part of this money help to keep my local church running? Why? Because that's where I am fed spiritually. And not just the local church. To keep ministries going. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you here? Oh, because it's tight now. The volume is getting down. <laughs> okay. All right. So it says, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Look at that phrase again. Even this what? Whole nation. So God was dealing with a national culture. Now, realize something. Realize something. We have been big on the tithe, but we have also not been big on the offerings. They come together. And because you also have people who would say, listen, I have paid my tithes. And that's all. You are still immature. It is tithes and offerings. Praise God. Are you following what I'm saying? So this whole thing about money is, listen, sometimes it is the fear of the future that makes us not to be liberal to God. It's the fear of the future. I was, yesterday night, I finished studying and, and I was going, maybe about 3 a.m. or something, I was going to bed, and, and the Lord ministered to my heart to, to send some offerings to two, three ministries. And I just went back, did it, sent the offerings, I couldn't even have the opportunity to talk to my wife about it because so something that we needed to give as a family. And she got up this morning, I just sent her, oh, I needed to send this and all that. Those are specific instructions from the Lord to give to something. And we must, you know, I felt honored that the Lord will stop me and say, I need you to push this money there. Praise the name of the Lord. Let's go on. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So they could not understand why they were poor. <laughs> they thought by, by holding back from God, they'll get richer. <laughs> but they could not understand that they were poor. Today, it can happen to us in many ways. It can happen to us in many ways. We keep withholding from God, and we think that the more we withhold, the more we'll be wealthy. But you realize some people, they have all the money in the world, but they are not wealthy. They are poor. They are broke. They, are, they, they have physical money. They can do a lot of stuff, but there's no peace in the house. Verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. This is what I like. Prove me now herewith. God says, try it. Walk on this thing. It will work. Said the Lord of hosts. 
If I will not open to you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there should not be enough room to receive it. Now, the first time the phrase windows of heaven was used was in the book of Genesis when God opened the, the windows of heaven and rain came down. Okay? So what God was trying to say when he actually speak, was speaking about the windows of heaven was the fact that I'm now going to release rain on your agricultural land. And then you will now have enough. Because, there, because listen carefully to this. Listen and listen carefully to this. This is a bit of place where you can miss it. Every time Israel disobeyed God, God will tell the rain from them. Because without rain, they will not be able to produce. So God says, if you start obeying me, now listen carefully, the obedience of God was on many levels. Are you following this? Right from Malachi chapter 1, God has been giving them ways to return. Are we together? He's been talking to them about purification, be talking to them about righteousness, be talking to them about taking care of their wives, be talking to them about not divorcing. Are you following this? So the tithing... For the windows of heaven was part of the returning from Malachi chapter 1. Because now God is about to close through prophet Malachi the rebuke he was giving to the nation. So he's saying that if you will come back to me, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and then the whole nation is going to start being productive. What am I trying to say? You cannot be a consistent tither and an adulterer and you expect the windows of heaven. Are you going home? Okay, you are here. Are you following what I'm saying? So God has been calling them. Hey, priest, come back. Hey, guys, come back. Take care of your wife. Live right. Give me the money that belongs to me. And I'll open the windows of heaven. So if you tie the windows of heaven just to the tithing promise, this is what happens. You will have very disobedient Christians who are faithful titers. And that itself negates what God has just told us before now when he says, I will purify the sons of Levi. So God wants to cleanse you before he takes the 10%. So our concept of the tithing we have been taught over time is like the mafia dons, right? You pay them their mafia money and then they keep you protected. And then if you don't pay them for the month, they send the other guys to kill you. And you have to show the guys your receipt like, hey guys, I've paid. I've paid for this month. No, that's not how God is. What God wants is the fruit of your obedience. And once the fruit of your obedience is sorted, tithing will not be an issue. Praise the name of the Lord. Are you still here? Verse 11. And I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he shall not destroy, look at this, the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast a fruit before the time in the field, which the Lord of hosts. Who, what were the devourers? The locusts and the caterpillars that ate their harvest. They were the devourers. So he says, listen, your ground will begin to produce. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord. Simply by turning to God, God will begin to restore the blessing and restore the increase. Listen, I've practiced this all my life. I've lived this all my life. Learn to be a generous giver. You cannot outgive God. And if you go to the place where you're not sure of what they're doing with the money, you can withhold your money. But if you, a place where the word of God is being thought, people are being saved, things are getting done, 
Plug in. Praise God. Are you still here? All right. Now, so God says, I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sake if you respond. So there's a response. There's a response. Praise God. Verse 12. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse Malachi 3, 13, 13 to 15. Your words have been stout against me, said the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken so much against you? You realize anything God tells them, they will not say, why are you talking like that now? They never agree to anything God said. Yet you have said, it is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we keep, kept his ordinance? And I would have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, that work wickedness has set up. Yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. You see, so God has dealt with the issue of their, of their restoration back to him. So he now addresses the concerns of their hearts. He says, some of you are good guys. But the problem you have is you just feel that there is no benefit in serving God. Right. So God addresses the rebellious group. Right? Come on now. God addresses the rebellious group. Then he now comes to those who are almost tempted to feel like those rebellious groups, they are successful. You know, it's like, what do now look like? But that my friend who keeps sleeping with people, he's always having marriage proposal. You are the one God is talking to here. You know, you have heard people say, even people who are not born again, they are rich. David had the same problem until God showed him their end. Then David repented. Don't envy what you don't know. Are you following what I'm saying? <laughs> Do you know that nobody comes out publicly and says, I have a very bad marriage? Nobody. Even celebrities that divorce, two days before the divorce, you see their picture on a beach with ice cream. 7,000 likes. Then the next post, we just say, for some reasons, best known to us. And you compare the two pictures and say, how about you were just lying down on the beach? It doesn't show like that. Sometimes, if the wealthy people will tell you to exchange places with them and they show you everything they have, you will say no. This is not an excuse for you to be poor. I'm just telling you that in life, stay content with God's plan for your life. Praise God. Okay. Verse 16. Then, they that feared the Lord spoke one to another. I like this. So in the midst of all this mess going on, there were people who feared the Lord. Listen, in the midst of pastors misbehaving, churches misbehaving, they are still righteous people. And that's something the Lord has been putting in our heart right now. That it's time we begin to talk more about the righteous people. And begin to focus more about the churches that are doing the right things. And focus more on pastors that are doing the right things. Praise the name of the Lord. That's why you don't have a business sharing what they wrote about a pastor. Pastor, pastor, impregnate 14 people. Wow. One million shares. And then your pastor writes something that is very edifying. You now inbox him. That thing you've shared on Facebook is a blessing. Share it too. Don't come and tell me it's a blessing in my inbox. Are you following what I'm saying? Because we also contribute sometimes to those things spreading. Ah, impossible. Impossible. Have you seen this thing? Ah, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And you have sent it to 100 people. You believe it. Because you believe, you share what you believe. Are you, are you following what I'm saying? Am I saying we should cover? I'm not, that's not my business. But I decided that I'll stand for righteousness. 
Praise the name of the Lord. I'll find good news and I'll share it. Do you know? I mean, I made, I made this. There was a time God was dealing with me about using my mouth to only say good news. And, and, and you know, I made, I made that consecration. And in fact, till tomorrow, a lot of my friends, if someone we know passes on, they'll never call me. They'll try to, because they know at a point, if somebody passes on, you won't hear it from my mouth. Because I know that's the news that you like to share a lot. Hello? He don't die. Ah, what happened? You don't even know what killed the man. At the end, you will now be collecting stories. Collect. Some people say it's fever. Which fever is typhoid one? Ah, typhoid, typhoid. Now you now start collecting lists of people that typhoid fever have killed. You see, the truth of the matter is uh, you are building an environment of fear. The next time somebody close to you have typhoid, you will start warning them that that's our last month. Last month, yeah, the girl just died. It was typhoid. What, what, what message are you spreading? Fear. Praise God. Consecrate your mouth that only sweet water will flow out of your mouth. Amen. And the Lord hearkened. The Lord heard as they were talking to one another. They were not talking to, uh, to the Lord. They were not praying. They were just having these concerns. The Lord knows your concern. The Lord knows those small gist you gist. <laughs> he knows the concern. Look at this. And the Lord hearkened. And he heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him. For them that feared the Lord and that taught upon his name. I like this. He says the book of remembrance was written. For them that feared the Lord. It means that as we live our lives fearing the Lord and thinking upon the name of the Lord. God is thinking of us. There's a book of remembrance. And you know the beautiful thing. When the book of remembrance is open. You realize that when God starts blessing you it doesn't look like. It is, I mean, who, which example comes to your mind? Mordecai. The king could not sleep. Haman and Mordecai's story. And they brought Haman and said, hey, what will you do for the man that saves the king? Ah, do this, do this, do this. You know how it is that when they want to do something for us, we like it big. When they want to do it for somebody else, we now say it's too much. That's something about life, right? Come on now. Someone said they want to buy a car for me. Something small. Doesn't have too many children. Just two boys like this. You can just jump in the back. One door is even okay. You know, pastors nowadays, they say, we will drive a big car. They will just think we have money. No, make it big. Buy it as if you want to buy it for yourself. No, live that way. Live that way about life. If you want to do something, do it as if there's, there's a brother I love so much. And I used to tell my wife about it. I said, if this brother is buying a shirt for me, he buys it like what he's buying for himself. You know, there are some people that will buy something for you. You just know that this one was bought for me. Because you see the difference. Say, Pastor, hold, hold this one first. Be using <laughs> this one. How you know the difference? Say, ah. And I'm just, but you understand, sir. So, do as you want others to And the Lord remembered. Verse 17. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Verse 17. And I'll spare them as a man, spare his own son that serveth him. You know, the Lord used this scripture to teach me about divine preservation. When I travel, this scripture is always in my mind. That the Lord will spare me as he spares his own son. That means God will take care of me just the same way he will take care of Jesus. 
This was the scripture God used me to teach, to, used to teach me divine protection. That some people can be spared as God will spare his own son. Praise God. Oh, then you shall return and discern between the righteous and the wicked. Between him that served God and him that served it not. Praise the name of the Lord. You know how God ends this interesting passage? Is that there will be a difference between those that serve God and those that don't serve him. He says there will be. If God says there will be a difference, there will be a difference. So you know what? You know what we'll do? we make up our mind that when that difference is being made, we will not be among the wicked. Righteousness might not pay today, but it will pay. Praise God. I said it will pay. Godliness might not pay today, but it will pay. It might look like righteousness is not paying, but it will pay. I'll give you a very quick story. And then I close. There was a time we went on this NGO stuff. To, I don't want to mention the, 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 the names and the countries because now um, materials are all over the place. And uh, they said those of us from Africa should do the medical report and submit. Then after a while, some people fought against it. Why only people from Africa? So they left it. Now, they now said, if you have done your own before, bring the receipts. People forged receipts. 60K, 70K, 80K. Mine was done for me because my father knows a guy in the general hospital. And that's where you now regret, why does your father know anybody? <laughs> so mine was free. So I went there. And I gave them. They said, how much? I said, no, it was free. Ah, people, I mean, the, the, the blasting in the room. You are foolish. Christianity is not stupidity. That you know God does not mean you don't have sense. And all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, did I feel bad? Yeah, in a way, yes. But in a way, I felt bad because when we're coming back, I mean, guys had 50K, 600 can remember, that was way back, really like 2010 or nine. That money would have, <laughs> would have put me on my own Forbes list of richest people in my community. <laughs> but I felt so bad. I was like, oh, you know how it is. You know, sometimes you do righteous things and in your heart, you know that this is righteousness. But in your mind, you're like, ah, God, if not for you, you know that it's you that is making me not to collect this money. But I didn't know that someone observed. A year later, they were looking for people to represent uh, Nigeria at the Global Youth Anti-Corruption Summit in Brussels, in Belgium. And they sent my name. I was the only one from Nigeria that went for that summit. In fact, when I went to apply for the visa, the people just said I will not get the visa because there was nothing. There was no bank statement. My bank statement was that of a copper. There was nothing inside. And I went there and they told, sorry, we can't give you the visa. And they had to call them from the, from the US. The organization is in the US. They called them from the US that uh, that's the only person coming from Nigeria. Give him the visa. I was on my way coming back when they called me from the embassy to come and collect the visa. That was my first trip abroad. I mean, to Europe. Now, when I got there, <laughs> trust this village boy, I took pictures. <laughs> pictures, pictures. I'll put in the group. Say, how did you get the application? I said, ah, you know, when you were collecting, <laughs> collecting 40,000, 40, I was not collecting. And in that, in that meeting, they were paying us, each day that we stayed, they were paying us per DM, per DM. By the time I came back, my take was huge. That lesson taught me about the power of righteousness. It might look like it's not working, but righteousness prays. Amen. Let's just bow our heads and just pray. Father, we thank you. We just make up our mind today that we're going to consecrate ourselves. Praise the name of the Lord. We're going to consecrate ourselves. Let's just take, take a few moments 
And if there's anything you're struggling with, ask the Lord to help you. It might be an addiction. It might be a boyfriend that you think you can't leave. It might be things in your company you think, if I don't do this, I won't be able to have money. Lord, we ask today. Oh God, we ask today that you would help us to make that consecration for righteousness. Help us, God. Help us with our addictions. Help us with our struggles. Help us to make those tough decisions that will put us on the right path. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Present Truth Broadcast with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would also like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng or call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.